Thank you, Mary Ellen. That was beautiful. Stephanie is at the back for those of you with children who'd like to get your Bible boxes. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets, which simply means they're the longest books, not that they're more important, but that they are the first in the prophetic section. So go to Psalms and move forward, or go to, Ma- to Matthew and move backward, and you'll come to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to start with the 21st through the 23rd verse in just a moment. Now, I don't, I don't know if this is, in fact, accurate from a sociological or a theological perspective, but I always watch the ads that they do on the Super Bowl as kind of an indication of what is happening to our nation. I figure that any company that's willing to pay $9 million for one minute's ad has done some kind of study as to what it is human beings are looking for. And so I was, of course, interested that the top ad was about the lost puppy. And the Budweiser, of course, Kleinsdales love him, and they come to his rescue. It was the top ad of last year as well. Uh, People always love puppies, though, and horses and so on. So I was not uh, that impressed with their research. I don't know what it has to do with selling beer, but but, um, it was the top ad. The one that caught my attention, and it seems to have caught most of ad world attention, was Microsoft. They appealed to our desire to be empowered. On their website, they place this sentence at the top of their ad campaign. They write, The real question that needs to be asked, as well as answered, is what is it that we can do that is unique, that is impactful? I don't think they're asking that question only for themselves as a company, what they can do that's unique and impactful, but they are wanting to connect to the desire of each one of us, that we want to do something that is unique and impactful with our lives. They answer the question for themselves by saying, we're going to empower every individual and every organization to do more and achieve more. Now, they have multiple ads in this ad campaign, but the one they played at the Super Bowl showed a computer-generated technology of locomotion that helped this little guy in the picture to walk with a prosthesis. Now, this isn't the prosthesis that they created in the picture, but it's to help him to be more mobile, to to live a fuller life, to, to be more fulfilled as an individual. It's a great image, and it's a powerful uh, analogy. It shows us that Microsoft believes, as they're studying human beings and what it is that motivates us to live our lives, including purchasing their products, that we want to be empowered to do something that we could not do without their help, that they can help us and support us and resource us to do something that would, in fact, empower us all. Now, of course, I'm not the only one that that caught that phrase. I had caught it before, but then I looked it up on the Internet. I wondered, well, what's everybody else think? Do they agree with me? And they agree. This is the, the ad from the professionals that speaks deepest to human desires. Desires to overcome the impossible. We all face impossible things in our lives. Technology and software matters because people matter. This was the best message of the ads, according to the professionals. 
Now, what's interesting to us as Christians is that our very core, we would agree with what this company has discovered about humanity. We believe that people matter. And we believe that we need to be empowered to do impossible things. And that each of us is uniquely gifted to make a lasting impact in the world. That's the clear teachings of Scripture. And so we resonate with the ad campaign, but I think we resonate in a kind of different way than those who have not experienced the empowerment of God at work in their lives. Yes, Microsoft identified the core human desire, and they offer a possible solution. The solution to the human need is technology and software. And they offered their support to us in doing that. But the thought, of course, that comes into our minds as Christians, we say, yes, but we need to use everything to impact our world for good, including our technology and software. And, of course, we're thankful for Microsoft and any advances in the human endeavor and medicine and education and politics and anything that's helping us to do something better. But in whom do we trust to live a a deeply significant and impactful life? Can Microsoft save humanity? And what kind of impossibility are they describing and God describing? And how do people ultimately matter? In what way, in what sense do people matter? And, and parenthetically, we have to raise the question, if technology and, and the internet and software is the salvation, then why has our technology stolen our purity and our safety? How does the human soul need to be empowered? And what is true and lasting and eternal in the impact that we are to make with our lives? You can see that we agree with the identification of the need. Uh, it's not as difficult to describe what the need is. The, the difficulty comes in what is the cure? What is the solution? What brings about true lasting uh, impact to the world? And so as Christians, we ask the question, who do we trust to empower us for the ultimate impossibilities? Who do we trust to empower us for the ultimate impossibilities. Well, that takes us back. It takes us back about 2,800 years to these words of the prophet speaking on behalf of God about seven to 800 years before Jesus was born. As Isaiah, as I said, is the major prophet, it's divided into two parts. We're going to actually study the first of the second part. It's one of the most beautiful chapters. If we were, were to read it from beginning to end, you'd recognize it in the Messiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. It's the beginning of the phrase of the, of the poem. And then at the very end, we'll come to the words of they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to start at the 21st verse, and we're going to go all the way through the 31st. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world 
to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, then he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now keep that beautiful promise and explanation before you as we study these words. Let's pray. Father, we all have deep desires and struggles. We all face things that are impossible. We recognize our weakness. We cover it over and, and often do not even admit it to ourselves, let alone to one another. And yet we know we must be empowered. We must have a power that comes from that which we could not do on our own, the great creator, preserver of humankind. So be with each of us as we are honestly in this mortal journey, in this moment of time, in this safe place, this sanctuary. Speak to each of us and bring these great and ancient words that are true now and forever will be true. Bring them to our minds and to our emotions, to our will and to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As is true of most poetry, the poem leads to this great climactic statement. And he ends this in the point that he's trying to make throughout the whole of the poem. He's explained that there's no comparison between creature and creator, between humanity and divinity. Even in our youth, he says, we are no comparison to the one uh, that created us. And so, in essence, he, he says the question and asks us, in whom do you hope? In whom do you trust? In whom have you placed your faith, your belief? Now, although Isaiah, of course, is writing in Hebrew, and the word that is used there means to wait with expectation or wait with hope, knowing that in your waiting, the one you're waiting for is going to come and is going to care for you and meet your need. I've always found it interesting that these three words, hope, trust, and faith, even belief, are the translations from the same two Greek words and their, der their derivatives. Epidzo means literally hope, trust, expect. As in, you can have faith in your expectation 
as you wait, the one you're waiting for is going to be there. You're not waiting in vain. Pistis simply means faith, trust, confidence. Confidence as in you can place your hope or your confidence in the one that you're waiting to come. The one who is faithful, the one who's trustworthy, the one who is always there. And there's a form of pistis, pisteo, which simply means to believe, and it has to do with intellectual assent, to trust in, to have faith in. So the answer to this central question that is the central question of all of life is in whom do you hope? In whom do you place your faith, your security, your trust, your belief? In whom do you have faith? And that question, of course, is answered throughout Scripture from the very beginning as the story unfolds and as people exhibit and live out their faith and that faith is is portrayed in all of its various complexities and and requirements and and, uh, relationship. But there is only one that is truly able to do the impossible through us and empower us and to bring peace to the human heart. So if that is true, if that's the answer of the whole of Scripture, that there is only one, then how do we live the life of hope and trust and faith and belief in the Holy One? Well, again, the prophet is is very simple in the way that he expresses it, and yet these four different ways are profound observations of human existence, both then when he wrote and today as we live. First, we've known who to trust from the beginning. We've known whom to trust from the beginning. Now, if that is true, then what has happened to us as human beings? Why are we always seeking to find someone else to empower us? Whether it's Microsoft or or someone else that offers the solutions to life. Another way of asking the question would be, Why do we replace the creator with the creature and look to these creatures, these fellow human beings, to make us uniquely empowered to make a lasting impact? Paul, of course, picks up on this about eight, seven, eight centuries later when he writes the the theology that we call the Book of Romans. He explains that since the creation of the world... We've known God's power and his nature. But we've denied him. And our thinking, therefore, becomes futile. Our hearts become darkened. And so, as as Isaiah explained years ago, that which should be as obvious to us as the sun rising is a darkness that causes us to look to other places for power and for our worth. And for our belonging. Second, the prophet observes that this world, even if we become princes and rulers, this world is simply a temporary existence. That everything withers. The tornadoes sweep everything away. All the things we thought were permanent and would would last, they're gone. And if we put our trust in that which does not last, it's to misunderstand the nature of power the nature of strength, the nature of stability, the nature of love, the nature of humanity, and the nature of God. Third, the prophet then explains that 
there is no comparison between God's empowerment in our lives and that which comes from any other source. Now, I have, I have great respect for human beings. I think human beings are amazing. And created in the image of God, the primary thing the theologians say that means is we are creative. And we are able to create amazing things from technology and software and medicine and education and life. And, and we get to, to work with the elements that we've been given and create things out of the created order. And, and it is an amazing thing for us to be human beings and to see what we're going to do next and, and to read of all the advancements and, and uh, valuable impacts. But the, but the observation that, that Isaiah makes is, a, is an important one. It's a lasting one. How can we compare the empowerment that God gives with anyone else, including Microsoft? To put our hope in anyone but the Holy One who created heaven and earth and provides His empowerment to us is to misunderstand the choice that we have into whom will we place our trust. It's a category error of cosmic proportions and has personal and corporate implications. Fourth, Paul Isaiah observes that the natural tendency we have when we face difficulty is to think that somehow we've been disregarded by God. It's universal. All of us feel it when we experience hard times. We either feel as though perhaps it's hidden from God. Perhaps God doesn't know. Because if God knew about it, surely he would do something or surely he would step on. And if he does know, then he must not care. He disregards our condition and our pain and our place. It's interesting that Isaiah repeats then how he began. When he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And then he answers the doubts and the questions that all of us experience by saying, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power. He empowers the weak. Even the youngest and strongest and smartest of young people grow tired and weary, and even young adults stumble and fall. And then, as we've already seen, Isaiah ends with the greatest solution to this deepest desire, identified by Microsoft and every human being that's ever lived. Those who trust, have faith, who hope, who believe in the Lord will be empowered in an unparalleled way with renewed strength, eagle's wings, unlimited stamina, fully functioning mind. Last week in Westmont Chapel, three of our own people, Russell Smelly, Helen Ree, and Shannon Ballroom, spoke to the students about being empowered by God in the face of impossible loss unbelievable situations. We put the link in the email newsletter and I encourage you to take the time. It'll take about 20-25 minutes to listen to all three of their testimonies of how God walked with them and cared for them and gave them eagle's wings, comfort and strength in impossible situations. 
When we experience what Isaiah describes, we walk in a different place, and we walk with a different empowerment. And that empowerment comes from the one who will never stop walking with us. Death itself, as the song we sang earlier in worship, it's a cold stream that flows over us, does not separate us from the love of God or from his presence and his power. He is with us now and eternally. Let's spend time with God. <laughs>